So this is our Simon Don reading group. We're continuing with uh, volume two of individuation uh, on the text history of the notion of the individual. Uh, last time we uh, we read the, I think we started it with the Pascal section. Uh, so um, for for Pascal um, or for Simon Don, what what's interesting about Pascal is um, um, I guess the opposition with Descartes. Um, in the sense that um, for Descartes, there's a kind of um, uh, how do I put this? Um, the the individual for for Descartes is a kind of epistemological individual. So there's a this project of reconstructing knowledge on the basis of individual reason. Uh, the individual has to uh, uh, sort of undergo the experience of putting knowledge into doubt and um, uh, then reaching the uh, indubitable. Um, knowledge of the cogito and then founding the rest of knowledge on that basis. Uh, whereas for Pascal, the um, individual is something that um, is not sort of given all at once at the beginning of the problem uh, as it is for Descartes. So it's not that we have this sort of immediate um, indubitable knowledge of our, of our existence. We instead have to sort of um, work through a problem to come to have knowledge of ourselves. Uh, and um, in particular, we have to um, make choices uh, that are not uh, sort of intellectual choices. So like the, the famous example, of course, is the is Pascal's wager, which is the um, the argument that or the sort of argument that Pascal gives to say why we should um, uh, uh, believe in God, um, because uh, if God doesn't exist, then we are just sort of wasting our time and not really harming anything. Um, but if, uh, if God does exist and we don't, um, believe in him, then we're condemning ourselves to eternal suffering. So we can, uh, the, the sort of trade-off is either, um, a sort of waste of time on the one hand or eternal suffering on the other. And so obviously the eternal suffering outweighs the, um, potential for waste of time. Um, but this argument, Pascal himself says this is not like a, uh, a sort of, um, rational conclusion. It's not a syllogism that uh, sort of proceeds necessarily from premises to conclusion. It's a kind of, um, uh, it's meant to sort of uh, turn the infidel towards faith. Uh, and then it requires um, a development of habits. So it's, it's only, uh, he also famously um, says that um, you only acquire faith by sort of pretending to um, to go along with it to start with, or by sort of uh, accepting the outward signs of faith uh, at first. So um, you can't sort of rationally convince yourself to, to believe in God, but what you can do is you can decide to go to church and um, go through the motions of prayer and so on. Uh, you can do all these things, and then faith sort of comes about through this practice of uh, uh, going through the motions that at first is, is kind of um, uh, pretense. Um, and so for Pascal, the conception of the individual is much more, um, it's something much more obscure than it is for Descartes, where the individual is something that sort of has this immediate intuitive self-knowledge. Uh, for Pascal, the individual has to sort of create itself and uh, um, can only learn about itself sort of after the fact. It has to sort of go through an experience to uh, come to have knowledge of itself. Um, and then we, we, um, we, we turn to Spinoza, um, who um, is much 
more Cartesian than Pascal, but is also in many ways anti-Cartesian. So um, just in terms of biography, Spinoza uh, wrote a, a book um, uh, where he takes um, Descartes' uh, principles of philosophy and puts it into a geometrical form. Uh, and um, he uh, there's a preface, which is written by one of Spinoza's um, students or disciples who... Um, uh, but also approved by Spinoza, um, where he sort of dis distances himself from the content of the book. So he says, uh, I'm, I'm just sort of setting out Descartes' um, positions, and uh, I don't necessarily agree with everything in this book. Um, but that's one of his first publications, is, uh, is this book um, giving an exposition in geometrical form of Descartes' philosophy. And then uh, his later work is um, sort of in the Cartesian tradition, but also critical of Descartes uh, in many respects. Um, but what what one of the key differences, the one that uh, Simon Don picks up on, is how for Spinoza, the human soul um, is a, a kind of spiritual automaton, um, as opposed to for where for Descartes, the human soul is is characterized by liberty, by uh, free will. Um, for Spinoza, the soul is a kind of automaton. So uh, the various processes that occur in the human soul proceed with the same uh, regularity and uh, necessity as natural phenomena do. Uh, and so um, the understanding of the relationship between the soul and the, and the body has to be um, much more complicated for Spinoza than it is for Descartes, who can just sort of appeal to the pineal gland as this kind of mysterious point of junction between uh, the animal spirits and the the, the soul that um, uh, changes their the direction of their motion. Uh, for Spinoza, there's a kind of um, correspondence uh, without interaction between the uh, ideas that make up the human soul and the um, parts of the human body. Um, and uh, so he wants to, uh, in particular, he wants to look at the uh, the passions of the soul. So the various um, affections that the soul undergoes when the body is affected by external objects in various ways. And he wants to understand these passions so that um, so that we, we can have a, an understanding of how a human being can become free and not be subject to passions that are um, external effects from, from outside of the human being. Uh, and so uh, this is sort of the progression of the ethics from the the first book is about the nature of God, uh, and then the the interve intervening books are um, about um, the nature of the human passions, and then the last book is how human beings can become free from the passions uh, um, in uh, having this intellectual knowledge of God. Um, okay, so I think that's what we saw. Oh, and one last point is this um, sort of obscure concept that Spinoza introduces, the, the idea of an infinite mode. Um, so um, uh, a mode, every finite being is a mode. It's a, it's a, a property of the, of the one substance. Um, but there's also this infinite mode, uh, which is what he calls the facius tosius universi, the, the face of the whole universe. So there's this constant proportion of motion and rest in the whole universe, which makes up this sort of quasi-individual um, uh, of which we are a part. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's these infinite modes, which are uh, kind of an obscure point of, um, of Spinoza's theory, but um, that he, he holds are um, 
important parts of his of his account of uh, individuation. Okay, uh, so Angus has volunteered to read. So we're on page 580 of the PDF, uh, starting from In This Conception. In this conception, there is a consequence to the Cartesian manner of contemplating extension. Bodies can only be distinguished from one another based on movement. Bodies are only distinct insofar as they are extended. However, the quantity of this movement is constant, and the laws of its communication or distribution are eternal truths. The extent that what distinguishes bodies does not belong specifically to each body, the individuality of bodies cannot appear as a positive property. Here we find again this aspect of Cartesian physics that excludes all potential energy and conserves only actual energy in the form of quantity of movement. So the, so the conservation of the quantity of movement due to the exchanges that occur between the different places of extension can only be affirmed for totality. In this physics, wherein what individualizes extension is the unique form of actual energy, no limited physical system can receive a veritable individuality. The same applies for Spinoza. With Spinoza, the, since the soul is the idea of the body, this weak consistency of corporeal individuality is also true for the individuality of the soul. With Descartes, on the contrary, all the aspects refused to extension were conserved in the soul thanks to the substantiality of the res cogitans. With Spinoza, man becomes spiritual automaton. This automaton that is the individual is an expression of divine capacity. This being, which tends to persevere in its being according to the conatus, has an immediate attachment to itself. In the body, this attachment is appetite, and in the soul, it is desire, cupiditas, the tendency to affirm oneself that exists in every idea, since the idea is self-position and not a silent painting on a canvas. Joy, sadness, love, hate, the passions originate in the encounter of exterior causes acting on our body and in the being's effort to preserve in being, sorry, to persevere in being. Certain aspects of the functioning of an automaton that have been studied recently are noted with a great amount of precision by Spinoza to explain the states of fluctuation uh, that make us love and hate one thing, one and the same thing due to the sequence of the play of associations. Even the rapport between individuals can be explained according to a schema of automatism, such is the case concerning the multiplication of hate. The whole force of nature determines that determines the affections of the automaton that the human individual is. Nevertheless, the spiritual automaton can also seek freedom by escaping from the slavery of the passions. There are absolute ideas in the soul. We necessarily have an adequate idea of what is found both in the whole and the part. Since we have an idea of a mode of extension or a mode of thought, as mutilated and confused as it may be, we will necessarily have adequate ideas of the attribute thought and the attribute extension. We have an adequate idea of God, whose nature is fully present in each of his modes. These adequate ideas are common notions because they are equally implicated in every individual in their ensemble constitutes reason. So when he talks about, um, you were talking about earlier, the uh, spiritual automatism, is the idea here that uh, because, because we can't have Cartesian substantiation, so we can't have the independence of the of thought from the body in the way that Descartes can. Uh, the soul becomes just as uh, mechanical as things in extension are for Descartes. Yeah, I think um, I think the direction is actually the other way around. Um, I think it's so Spinoza in a, a few different places. He um, he says that what was sort of lacking in the ancients, and I think he's thinking primarily of Aristotle, is um, 
um, this notion of the the soul as a spiritual automaton. Um, and uh, so I think that's the starting point. And it's from there that he, um, like, it's, yeah, so he, he starts from the, 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 con- the conception of the soul as a spiritual automaton. And it's from there that he, um, he proceeds to the denial of um, bisubstantiality. Um, so it's maybe a, a, a different direction than um, contemporary readers might take uh, where we would start from the, the denial of bisubstantiality and then proceed to this notion of the, um, the soul as a spiritual automaton. Um, but yeah, so it seems like Spinoza went the other direction. Um, but yeah, so the, the idea is that um, all of the, like our soul, the human soul consists of um, ideas uh, of, of the various parts of the body. Um, the body is composed of uh, various smaller bodies, you know, blood and, and bones and you know, all the different things that make up a, a human body. Um, and uh, the, the human soul is a, this very complex idea made up of uh, all these component ideas um, and uh, the interaction of those ideas is uh, just as mechanical as uh, as the interaction of the various parts of the body. Um, so we we deny anything like uh, Cartesian free will uh, a role in the uh, formation of ideas and the interaction of ideas. But it's also very interesting that um, so he he takes what in some respects is a, a kind of reductionist account of uh, human cognition. Uh, so he reduces it to this mechanical interaction of the ideas. But at the same time, he, um, uh, as opposed to someone like Hobbes, who has a similar kind of reduction of um, the the soul to this mechanical interaction of ideas. Um, uh, uh, on the contrary to, to Hobbes, um, Spinoza has a very strong um, uh, sort of rationalist understanding of uh, human knowledge. So um, this interaction of ideas is not sort of um, uh, doesn't sort of decrease the capacity of human beings for knowledge. Um, it's not it's not that we have um, less capacity for knowledge than Descartes thought we did. We actually have more capacity for knowledge because we can have a, a clear and distinct understanding, or we can have an adequate idea of the nature of God, uh, and we um, we don't have this uh, interaction between the soul and the body that uh, Descartes already said was beyond human understanding. Um, so on the one hand, Spinoza kind of um, reduces the uh, operations of the human soul to this interaction of ideas through um, spiritual automatism. Uh, but at the same time, he um, expands the capacity of human knowledge to uh, include uh, the nature of God, which we have adequate knowledge of, and uh, the the whole universe essentially um there, there's nothing that we can't have adequate knowledge of if we uh, apply ourselves correctly okay uh, so let's go on to the next bit um i don't, I don't know 61 if you're um if you're back if you're available to read uh if not i can uh, i can read the next bit okay i'll take that as a note um i'll let you uh, read later on okay um so i'll read from here now insofar as he has adequate ideas the human individual uh, instead of being determined by the course of uh, human indiv- individual acts, instead of being determined by the course of nature, the importance of the expression "insofar as" is paramount here. It signifies that man can pass from servitude to freedom if he is the adequate cause of his affections. Without ceasing to be an automaton, the spiritual automaton can persevere in its being without the aid of external causes. There can be a part of ourselves of which we are the adequate cause. The affection of, of desire then then remains without passion. 
only sadness with all the affections that depend on it can be nothing but passive, since a being of itself would not be able to tend toward its own destruction, and since by necessity it has an exterior cause. The virtuous action, which uh, that which most increases our own capacity, is one that is determined by adequate ideas or follows reason, for we are its adequate cause, and the action of which we are the cause is the most perfect of all. The Cartesian individual was composed of two substances, what is passion for one is action for the other and vice versa. Conversely, according to Spinoza, the individual who possesses a correspondence instead of an interaction between the body and the soul has no need of Cartesian free will. Every passive affection can become virtue when inadequate knowledge is replaced with adequate knowledge. This is how ambition can become piety. To defeat a passion is not to struggle against it, but to know it, i.e. to grasp an adequate idea of, that of, of the affection that it envelops. However, the affections born of adequate ideas have some singular chances of survival and constancy. If an affection is so strong that it is awakened by a greater number of causes, no affection will be stronger than one that is linked to adequate ideas, i.e. to ideas whose objects are constant and eternal. The idea that we have of our finite individuality as such is an inadequate idea. The idea that we have of God and of the principles of nature is an adequate idea. This idea transforms the, the one that we make of ourselves. We know ourselves as determined by the laws of the universe. In this sense, we lose nothing of what was positive in our own individuality. Far from suppressing the kanadas through which we tend to persevere in our being, in some sense we rely on the kanadas of the universe. Consequently, we connect to the universe, our individual part of the universe, based on what it has in common with all the other parts. But it is not our individual as such that we connect to the universe. On the, on the knowledge of the second type is superposed the knowledge of the third type that intuitively grasps the necessary dependence connecting our individuality as such to the nature of God and his attributes. We, we then see our individual in what is singular about it ensue from the nature of God. This knowledge is eternal life independent of all duration, while the knowledge of the first type made of man a finite and singular being. In the knowledge of the third type, man on the contrary is revealed as a singular but eternal being. Between the knowledge of the first type and that of the third is inserted the moment when man sees himself assimilated into universal necessity in the knowledge of the second type. It is in this sense that man has within himself a certain potential which, through knowledge, is likely to change level, point of application, and ultimately effect. Man's structure is not absolutely fixed. This solution to the problem of individuality is not without a certain analogy with that of Descartes, representing the rapports of the soul and the body through this relay that is the pineal gland. The soul changes the course of the animal spirits without adding to or taking away from, the, from their quantity of movement. Similarly, due to the fact that every idea contains an affirmation and isn't just a silent painting on a canvas, knowledge can modify the manner in which the canatus acts in the, individual hum, in the human individual. This canatus is always the same at the level of knowledge of the first, second, and third type, but its orientation is modified. And it can be said in a certain sense that the canatus orients itself because the canatus is not different from the idea's power of self-affirmation. It therefore must be said that the individual is an automaton in the highest sense of the term, since instead of being completely actual, the conatus can, can remain in reserve in a somewhat potential manner so as to be applied to itself. This return, in action returning to itself, is one of the distinctive signs of individuality, but it requires an addition to pure Cartesian mechanism of a certain potential dynamism incorporated in the conatus. Right, so here, um, Simon Don just sort of alludes to this doctrine of the three types of knowledge um, that, uh, that Spinoza um, explains in the ethics. So the three kinds of knowledge are, so the first kind of knowledge is um, knowledge from experience or hearsay. So the example Spinoza gives is um, with uh, performing a, a mathematical calculation, um, it's finding the, the uh, fourth proportional. So if you have, you know, A is to B uh, as C is to D and you you're given A, B and C, then you have to find D. Um, and uh, he, he 
says that we can, there, there's a, a certain rule you can apply um, that you might have learned in school and just sort of memorized by rote. So you, it's just knowledge by hearsay. Um, or you might uh, sort of try out on a couple of small numbers that are easy to calculate uh, and uh, sort of uh, generalize to form a, a rule based on those few numbers that you've tried out. Um, so those are both instances of the first kind of knowledge. Uh, and this kind of knowledge is, is characterized by the imagination. So it, it's, um, uh, it involves forming an image or an idea um, based on experience or hearsay. Um, uh, then the second kind of knowledge is knowledge through demonstrations. So, and uh, these demonstrations uh, are based on uh, common notions. So there are certain properties of things that are common to, um, to all entities um, of a certain kind. Uh, so extension, for example, the various properties of extension um, uh, are, are common to everything in the attribute of extension. Uh, and so geometrical knowledge, uh, so we can demonstrate properties of triangles and, and rectangles and so on. Um, and these properties will be true of anything that um, has extension in the appropriate figure. Uh, and so this kind of knowledge through demonstration is knowledge of the second kind. Uh, and then finally, the third kind of knowledge is um, much more obscure than the first two, but it's uh, kind of intuitive knowledge. So we, um, in the case of the um, finding the fourth proportional, we, we have this sort of immediate grasp of the, the rule for, um, for what the, the, fourth or the fourth proportional is. So we don't need to um, uh, sort of uh, apply a rule that we learned in school. We don't um, demonstrate through proofs what the what the rule is, but we have this immediate intuitive grasp of uh, how the fourth proportional relates to the, the three given terms. Um, and our, our, uh, our goal or what the ethics leads up towards um, is to um, have uh, knowledge of this third kind of, uh, of God and of how our soul relates to God. Um, and so we, we have intellectual um, love of God uh, through knowledge of the third kind. Um, we, we have this immediate intuitive grasp of ourselves as a, a part of, um, of God, of the, uh, the one substance. Um, and uh, it's through this uh, intuitive knowledge of ourselves as a part of God that we overcome uh, our uh, affection by entities outside of us and the, overcome the, the passions in that sense. And the other bit that, that Simon Dom picks up on here is Spinoza's concept of Canadis, um, which is um, this notion of the effort of an entity to persevere in its being. So everything that exists um, has this uh, property of um, persevering in its being as much as possible. Uh, so uh, an entity has a certain nature, a certain uh, essence, um, and it tries or it it uh, has this property of um, acting in such a way as to preserve that essence. So uh, entities try to preserve themselves um, in sort of anthropomorphic terms, uh, in terms of effort. Um, but in the case of the human being, um, uh, the human being has this um, conatus, this uh, effort to preserve uh, itself. Um, but it can also sort of um, have this uh, I guess, recursive action on its own canadis uh, through this intellectual knowledge of God. So by, by knowing ourselves as um, parts of, of, of the one substance, we um, 
sort of change what we are. We we no longer we're no longer um, this finite, limited being that is trying to preserve itself against um, affections coming from outside. We are now a part of the the universe as a whole. Um, you know, coming to know itself uh, in this intuitive manner, um, and so we we overcome the limitation of uh, our our finitude of our um, separation, uh, and we we become part of something infinite. Okay, uh, so let's go on to the next bit. If someone else would like to read from uh, this action of the individual, I can read. Uh, Ali has volunteered. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's see it. Oh, Ali, you're on mute. I don't know if you uh, uh, have started. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry, and thank you. So the, this action of the individual, yeah. the pot? Yeah, okay. okay. Okay, This action of the individual being upon himself through knowledge doesn't just begin at the level of the third type of knowledge. But instead, at the moment when the individual begins to make use of the second type of knowledge and the common notions, to make use of reason is already to grasp things under a certain form of eternity. Subquantum aeterni speci. Eternal life is a knowledge of ourselves of speci aeternitatis. There is no passage from time to eternity. The conatus, uh, uh, quote, conatus of desire or desire to know things by the third kind of knowledge cannot arise from the first kind of knowledge, but from the second, end of quote, Ethics 28.320. Due to the second type of knowledge, the corporeal individual, both for Spinoza and for uh, Descartes, is like a whole web of intelligible relations. Rational knowledge is a starting point wherein the soul must be immediately established, otherwise it will never happen. Spiritual life is not conceived as a written towards a lost primordial state, but as a uh, methodological progress, passing from a perfect knowledge to another knowledge that is deduced from it. The common notions of reason are the source of deduction. Reason consists of this progress that advances towards singular things. To find it more existing, the finding modes of existing duration are not deduced from the absolute nature of the attributes of God. However, the fifth of fifth part of ethic, the ethics, deduction reads to these singular beings themselves, albeit endowed with a quite different type of existence of existence and known subspaci uh, eternitatis. The individual can be grasped in its eternal essence as a necessary consequence of this infinite mode of extension that the laws of movements are. If the soul is the idea of the body, it is therefore necessary, even if the actually existing body perishes, that something of it remains, something eternal, namely its essence, which follows eternally, eternally from the infinite intellect or the intellect of God, infinite mode of Thought, just as its body follows the laws of movement and extension. Quotes, Sentimus ex peri murcus aeteronus esse. End of quote. We feel and we experience ourselves as eternal through these eyes of the soul that the demonstrations are, such as the conception of the essentia uh, particularis. 
affirmativa in the fifth part of the ethics. Singular thing is affirmative when it has understood itself by seeing in its very singularity its dependence on the universe. Determination, which is negation, is on the contrary the boundary of being that does not have its uh, its reason within itself. Conatus, which constitutes the being's essence, is pure affirmation that poses the being without any limit in duration. By passing from passive affections to active affections, originating with the infinite intellectual love that God has for himself, the conatus loses nothing but its limitations. At that point, the love and the soul experiences a for God, and that joins with his essence, the God for its cause. Destroying this love no longer have anything passive from about them, since the soul by nature is their adequate cause. There is consequently no longer a position between the particular being and God or nature. The eternal life of the soul is like the internal development of this essence based on its principle. To know this essence is to better know this principle. Just as we know geometrical being or the better as more consequences are deduced from its definition. Quote, the more we understand particular things, the more we understand God. End of quote. The individual's salvation, therefore, consists in the affection of joy and fortitude, which are linked to knowledge. But according to the theological, political treaties, other paths are possible, particularly the path of religious life. Faced with this diversity of human paths, the state should only protect the freedom of thinking without taking sides behind a given belief and without suppressing the individual natural rights. The role of the state is to prevent what is negative and destructive in the conflict of the passions. It cannot produce the, the affections that unite them. Unite men can only facilitate the development of development by protecting them from the passive passions that would destroy them. Consequently, individuals have the right to judge this state and to revolt if it uses violence or states of hate between subjects. Right. Thanks. Does it? Yeah. yeah, you can stop here. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Um, You're yeah, thanks for reading those uh, Latin passages as well. Um, oh. Um, right. So, um, yeah, there's a few points in this passage that are worth uh, going over. So, um, one of the um, points of departure of Spinoza from Descartes is um, this this notion of um, the starting point of knowledge. Uh, for for Descartes, we have to have this. Um, sort of foundational structure of knowledge. We have to uh, base all of our knowledge on something indubitable. Otherwise, it's all um, just sort of uh, uh, conjecture. It's not true knowledge. Um, but for Spinoza, this whole sort of epistemological problem, he basically says, I don't care about this. Um, he, he In um, the short treatise, he he gives um, this amazing phrase, he says, habemus enum ideam veram, uh, for we have... Uh, a true idea. So you just sort of uh, accept at the outset that we have a true idea. This is something that we, uh, we as human beings, we we have a true idea. Uh, we have we have knowledge, um, and we don't really need to worry about uh, providing a foundation for knowledge in that sense. Um, uh, and so we we're sort of already in knowledge at the outset. We the human being is already always already in the domain of knowledge, and uh, it's not. Um, it, there's no question of uh, sort of setting out and trying to 
trying to uh, create knowledge from nothing as there is uh, with Descartes. Um, but the knowledge that we have, um, we uh, is um, sort of um, obscured by uh, the imagination. So we the the body is affected by other bodies outside of itself, and the the human soul is uh, sort of in parallel with the body is um, affected by um, ideas of other uh, of other bodies. Uh, and freedom consists in um, becoming the cause of one's own one's own ideas uh, or the cause of one's own um, one's own being uh, in a sense uh, so we uh, we in the case of inadequate knowledge when we are affected by um, things outside of us we are are not the causes of uh, of our own ideas the the causes of our ideas are outside of us uh, but then we when we have adequate knowledge it's it's ourselves it's our own soul that is the cause of our own knowledge uh, and this is what freedom consists in uh, so it's not a question of um, sort of escaping from the laws of nature or the universal determinism of nature it's a question of where the causes of our ideas are located either outside of us or within us and uh, in particular we can, uh, how we can start to have adequate ideas of things when we view them uh, sub quadam aeterni specie, so under a certain kind of eternity. Um, uh, and so we, we conceive of things uh, insofar as they um, uh, follow from the idea of God. So everything has a, an essence that, uh, or a, a particular nature that, um, in the case of bodies, consists of a, a certain proportion of movement and rest. Um, um, but uh, each of these um, natures or essences of entities follows from the idea of God. Um, and insofar as we know an entity um, through through this um, following from the idea of God, we know it um, as something eternal. So we we don't. Um, so the uh, example that Spinoza uses to illustrate this notion is is um, if we if we have the idea of of a man uh, or of man as such, we we understand the essence of man, um, but we we don't necessarily know. We don't need to know, um, um, you know, how many men there are in the world. Um, so he he gives a, an example of if there were twenty men, for example, um, we we don't need to have knowledge uh, in order to have knowledge uh, of the essence of man. This, this knowledge of the essence wouldn't tell us why there are exactly twenty men and not nineteen or twenty one or thousand or whatever um we we just have a knowledge of the, the of the essence of man which follows eternally from the idea of god we don't need to have knowledge of the uh production of each of these individual men who uh um realizes this idea this uh essence uh and so by knowing things um uh under the form of eternity um we have adequate ideas of them that don't depend on um, something outside of us. It depends only on the knowledge of God that we have within us. Um, and then, uh, in particular, once we have knowledge of ourselves in this uh, under the a certain form of eternity, once we know ourselves as um, following from the idea of God, we um, we it, it's not just um, like our our knowledge of ourselves actually transforms ourselves. So the the knowing the knower and what is known coincide in this case and so coming to have this knowledge of ourselves in this way changes what we ourselves are um 
So we, um, as knowers uh, under the form of eternity, come to be something eternal, uh, something um, that uh, exists uh, as uh, part of um, part of God and following from the idea of God. And so this is this, um, again, another sort of amazing phrase that Spinoza uses in the ethics. He says, um, sentimos experimorque nos eternos esse. Uh, we feel and we experience ourselves to be eternal. Um, and uh, this is something that Simon Dong, Simon Dong has cited this phrase in uh, volume one. We, we saw this uh, when we read volume one, um, how we have this sense of, um, of ourselves as, uh, as being eternal, as, as not subject to, to death, um, or, or we have the sense that there's something of us that remains after death. Um, and uh, for Spinoza, this, this is the, um, our, ourselves insofar as we know ourselves to be uh, follow, to follow from the idea of God. So insofar as we have this knowledge of ourselves under the form of eternity, uh, that uh, our, ourselves in that respect um, are eternal, um, are, are not subject to generation and destruction. Uh, and, and so this is something that does not disappear with death. So um, the more our soul is occupied with um, this eternal, um, with, with uh, knowledge of uh, the third kind and this eternal knowledge, the more our soul is uh, something that um, th is not destroyed by death. Uh, and so this is what human salvation consists in, uh, is this capacity for the soul to become something that does not disappear with death uh, through this um, knowledge of the third kind. I think, I think it's kind of a very um, simplified version of uh, understanding of Spinozian uh, philosophy, because in ethics, there are bunch of bunch of ideas uh Spinoza thought of human beings and then the relation uh human beings and god and the nature and so on so what i want to ask is like uh simon seems uh really focus on the um the how uh individual uh has a relations with uh the god or the um the kind of exterior kind of environments like uh what uh milieu uh, what what the Simongdong refers to remilier, but what I want to ask here is like uh, how to uh, how an individual get to the um, the the uh, fortitude or like uh, the eternal state like uh, um, kind of like what is the exact meaning nature of ethical idea here? Because uh, in in a way, uh, uh, I don't know, Simongdong understand the Spinoza. Uh, wants to respect the individuality, the individuality, singularity, and then by extension, that can be part of the God. It's part of the understand, uh, so which means like it respects like individual singularity. But at the same time, uh, uh, Spinoza also wants to uh, individual human beings like uh, to follow the, uh, I mean, the part of the the, the word of God, like uh, the nature, uh, which is called like uh, adequate adequate ideas but here what does it mean by the adequate ideas with in which in to what extent we can i mean individuals can um uh you know like have the single singular ideas versus like uh, the, the 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 thought of god i mean the so-called adequate ideas it's, it, my, my my question is kind of like a messy like is that clear 
Yeah, I think I understand what you're asking about. So adequate ideas. Um, yeah, this is um, a bit of a difficult point in Spinoza because he so he um, he wants to distinguish uh, his theory of adequate ideas from uh, a sort of straightforward correspondence theory of truth. Uh, so it's not that he sort of rejects the correspondence theory of truth, but he he thinks that um, this is sort of a, an external um, characterization of what it means for something to be true. So if you think of um, correspondence, so our idea of something uh, sort of matches the the thing that it's the idea of. Uh, so if we have an idea of the sun, uh, for example, uh, that idea will be adequate, will be uh, a correct idea, will correspond to the sun if that idea depicts the sun in the way that the sun really is. Um, and this, for Spinoza, this is a sort of external characterization of uh, the truth of an idea, and it's it's um, Spinoza wants to um, sort of overcome this external notion of the correctness of an idea, and he wants to he wants to see the adequacy adequacy of ideas as something internal to the idea. Um, so it's it's in it's part of the idea itself. The the adequacy of the idea um, is something that uh, is is uh, internal to the idea. Um, so our, our idea of the sun is adequate if it um, has sort of in in itself in in uh, we can sort of uh, contemplate this idea and um, uh, have knowledge of the sun through this idea um, without having to sort of compare the idea to the um, external entity. Uh, so this is sort of Spinoza's. Um, I guess, program of what he wants uh, the adequacy of ideas to consist in. Uh, but it's uh, somewhat obscure how exactly we're meant to understand this um, adequacy because, um, yeah, so what it means exactly to have an adequate idea of the sun, for example, is um, uh, without, so we we are not supposed to, you know, compare our idea with the sun uh, as, as something outside of our idea. Um, we're supposed to just sort of proceed from the idea of the sun itself. And uh, that idea has certain uh, marks or characteristics of truth um, sort of inherent in it. And so we have to be able to sort of determine from examining an idea whether it's an adequate idea or not. And this is uh, sort of a difficult point of how exactly we're, we're meant to do this. Um, it's not 100% clear in Spinoza. Um, but what what he does um, tell us about adequate ideas is that um, uh, we have adequate ideas of um, the common the common notions are adequate ideas. So everything that follows from uh, the follows from an attribute is uh, a common notion. So everything that follows from the the concept of extension is uh, is a common notion. And so all the geometrical properties of, of bodies are um, adequate ideas. Uh, um, and likewise, everything that follows from the attribute of thought is, uh, is a, an adequate idea. Um, but um, it's only, so through the common notions, we have knowledge um, that can, we can bring about deductive knowledge. So we, we form um, an adequate idea of uh, a sphere, for example, um, and then we can deduce various properties of the sphere uh, through, through reasoning. Uh, and so this is uh, one form of adequate knowledge. Um, and uh, this form, this is the, the second form of knowledge. Um, and this form sort of leaves us with the desire for um, the third form of knowledge, the intuitive 
grasp of uh, of uh, the essences of things. Um, and so it, it's this third form of knowledge that is um, sort of the fully adequate idea, the the adequate idea in the full sense of the term. It's um, it's in this third kind of knowledge that we have uh, uh, a knowledge of ourselves as um, as parts of God, uh, you know, parts of the one substance, and as uh, therefore as eternal entities and not subject to destruction by death. Uh, so this is um, sort of an instance of how human beings have eternal ideas, um, but the the sort of mechanism. Uh, of, of the adequate ideas of how we recognize an adequate idea is um, something that he leaves somewhat obscure. Thank you so much, like uh, thank, thanks for your explanation. In a way, um, it was quite interesting, like how Simondon understands like Spinoza, like a picture, like a, that specific part, and to make it make it of uh, I mean make use of it for his own uh, philosophy, um, and then. The Spinozian ideas were quite revolutionary, like uh, thinking of the uh, thinking of his considering his time. Uh, but regarding like uh, adequacy of the uh, uh, ideas, like uh, common notions, everything is a really important kind of a concept. Uh, but in a way, he couldn't get out of like a poorly like out of the the frame of religion at the end of the day, because like uh, the thinking, I mean. Pursuing like a multitude and then like the adequate ideas, all things together, as you said, it's kind of obscure at the end of the day. And then he try, he goes back to it at the end of the day, like to the, the the frame of religion at the end of the day, like as it as it is stated in the in the passage I I've, I've read. Yeah, um, the the notion of religion in Spinoza is a difficult one um, because. Um, uh, so just uh, as a sort of biographical note, um, so Spinoza was um, uh, from a Portuguese Jewish family, uh, but he was born in the Netherlands um, because his family was expelled from Portugal. Um, and uh, he, in the 1650s, I believe, was expelled from the Jewish community of Amsterdam. Um, and it's not 100% clear what exactly his um, his sort of crime was, but he... Uh, um, was uh, sort of teaching uh, or um, publicizing um, ideas that the leaders of the Jewish community considered heretical. Uh, and uh, later in his life, he was associated with some um, uh, sort of heterodox Christian communities, uh, Quakers, I believe, and, and some others. Um, and uh, he, so he writes the, the theological political treatise. Uh, he publishes this anonymously. Um, and this, so this book, is uh, as you said, is, is a, a kind of revolutionary book. Um, it uh, it's one of the first books that tries to do a kind of um, historical analysis of scripture of the biblical texts. Um, and so Spinoza argues that um, he particularly is opposed to uh, rabbinical interpretations of uh, the biblical texts. So the interpretations that um, rabbis had proposed of uh, of the biblical texts. Um, in, and these interpretations often tried to sort of reconcile different um, passages of the text that seem to be contradictory. So you have like stories about like um, uh, in a particular year, this person was so many years old. And then you have like later in the story, um, you know, five years later, he's 10 years older or something like that. Um, it, you have these texts where there seems to be a contradiction between two different passages. And uh, often in, this, in these cases, uh, the rabbis would would give some uh, interpretation of why the text um, seems to be contradictory, but in fact is is not. 
uh, and Spinoza is very critical of this kind of interpretation, and he argues that we have to sort of stick to what the text says. Um, and he, uh, uh, in particular, he he argues that um, the teaching of the of the Bible is only an ethical teaching. Uh, it, it only the the true content of the biblical text is the uh, the injunction to love your neighbor as yourself, um, and all of the sort of um, metaphysical uh, and cosmological and and other conceptions that the authors of the biblical text might have had about um, how the world was created in the book of Genesis, for example, um, all of that is just sort of incidental and uh, is not important to um, to the uh, sort of spiritual status of these texts. Um, and so this this text, um, of course, uh, aroused a lot of opposition, uh, and he was identified pretty quickly, even though it was published anonymously. Um, um, but yeah, so in this text, Spinoza um, argues in a kind of religious framework. So he's he's arguing about the um, the what's important about the biblical texts and what um, what lessons we should draw from it and what aspects are are uh, sort of relevant to our contemporary life. Um, and he he gives a, a sort of positive role to religion. Uh, he he kind of identifies religion with um, uh, understanding of the nature of God uh, as uh, um, as manifested through um, loving one's neighbor as oneself. Um, but he what exactly he means by religion is um, not it, it's obviously not um, sort of belonging to a, a synagogue or a church as. Um, as uh, they existed in his own time, um, he he sees religion as something that involves a kind of um, uh, self understanding of the of the world. I guess we could say so. It's it's through religion um, that the the universe or nature comes to understand itself. Um, it, it's kind of uh, creating an image of itself through religion um, and. Uh, what religion consists in primarily for us, for human beings, is um, what he calls obedience, um, or um, in general, it's this loving one's neighbor as oneself. So um, there's a, a, a very um, subtle relationship between the, the life of reason as it's set out in the ethics and uh, religion as it's set out in the theological political treatise, because he, he argues that not everyone is capable of living in accordance with reason. Um, and you know, having this intellectual love of God and knowledge of the third kind and so on. Um, but what what religion does by teaching um, religion, it allows other people to sort of live uh, in uh, in a kind of um, community with each other. Uh, it it allows people to overcome their um, uh, passions that lead to conflict with each other and to um, uh, actually increase each other's power of acting. So by living with others uh, in the in the form of religion, by having this religious form of community, um, we our, our capacity for action is increased. We become more powerful than we were on our own. Um, so this, yeah, there, there's a lot of um, uh, there's, there's a lot to say about like what exactly Spinoza means by religion, um, and it's. Uh, more than just what Simon Dome sort of alludes to here, um, but uh, it, it has a, a very subtle interaction with um, the life of reason as, as uh, Spinoza set out in the ethics. Oh, very, very helpful. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's um, the theological political treatise is a, a 
really amazing book because it's um, uh, like a little bit about the political context of this book is that um, there was a um, a conflict at the time uh, in the late 17th century between um, the uh, sort of Republican um, uh, uh, tradition or party within uh, the Netherlands. So the, the the side that wanted to maintain the Netherlands as a republic, uh, and then there was a monarchist party um, that wanted to have a, a kingdom in the Netherlands. Um, and the monarchists were associated with the um, sort of fundamentalist Calvinist uh, uh, party, which wanted to impose Calvinism as the state religion and uh, end the religious toleration um, um, that, uh, that um, sort of prevailed in the Netherlands at the time. Uh, and uh, so this, this conflict was one of the um, sort of, um, uh, was part of the context in which Spinoza is writing. And he, he sort of intervenes in this um, debate between the, the sort of liberal Republicans and the uh, fundamentalist Calvinists by, by sort of trying to, um, trying to sort of meet the Calvinists on their own ground or, or show like refute them on their own basis. So he, he, argues from the biblical texts that um, ultimately the state has to uh, uh, sort of respect freedom of thought and uh, can't impose a state religion or shouldn't impose a state religion uh, in the way that the Calvinists wanted it to. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's a very subtle text to sort of decipher like how much of it is Spinoza's own, um, his own thinking versus how much is sort of a, a tactical move that he's making in this debate between the, the, the fundamentalists and the uh, Republicans, um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's a, a fascinating text, and uh, it's uh, it's very important for the history of biblical interpretation as well, because he's one of the first people to try to uh, analyze the biblical text as a uh, as a kind of historical document. It's one that you know uh, is written in a particular historical context um, in uh, you know various uh, time periods. Uh, it's not sort of um, uh, this kind of eternal divine revelation in the sense that um, other authors have taken it to be. It's, it's something that appears in a particular social context and uh, at, in a particular time and place. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of my my pitch to uh, read the theological political treatise. Yeah, I, I think I should read it one, one day. Uh, can, can, can I just like a simple one more question if time allows? Yeah, sure. Uh, the... Uh, as far as I understand, like Spinoza is trying to like the overcome, no, like another try to the stick to the transcendental morality, like um of if I say like a Kantian kind of morality, instead of like he uh try to ask people to uh, for I mean uh to to have some kind of their own ethics, like a which she uh which is not against like the God or nature, like uh, which he would be like a uh, good for uh, seeking for the bodhitude, the the state of the uh, uh, state of kind of like the good, 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 good state, whatever. Um, by uh, which is not against like a uh, one's joy, uh, one's like a uh, uh, happiness, um, something like that. So kind of like uh, respecting again, like a uh, one singularity, individuality, and that could be. They could consist. They could be composed of like the community. I mean, the happiness of the community, and then the, the word of God, or whatever. Something like that. So it's more like a, not the top down, but the bottom up. 
kind of ethics. Can I understand that way? Like uh, as a uh, Simongdong would understand that way too. Yeah, the the uh, Spinoza's ethics, like his his sort of ethical principles, um, again are are sort of subtle because um, on the one hand he um, he's a he's a, a kind of naturalist in terms of ethics, so he he denies any kind of um, sort of supernatural principle of um, of the good or anything like that, and he he argues um, against uh, the validity of concepts like perfection or or beauty or um, goodness. Um, there's no such thing in the world as something more more perfect or less perfect. It's just um, it's just how entities um, are sort of useful or not for us that makes us call them perfect or imperfect. Um, so on the one hand, he has this kind of naturalism uh, that that treats um, these sort of um, uh, value judgments as being relative to uh, to human interests. Um, but then on the other hand, he also has this conception of um, he, he argues that um, what uh, what most uh, sort of uh, accords with the human essence is other human beings. Uh, so what we um, what promotes our power of acting, what makes us more capable of acting uh, is um, is a community with other human beings. And uh, so he, he talks about um, Ethic, uh, sorry, intellectual community. So our our knowledge of the world and of uh, our relationship to God is um, uh, is sort of promoted by having an intellectual community with others. We, you know, other people can teach us things. We learn through reading, uh, and um, we, um, in particular, through um, the freedom of the press, which he also um, advocated in the theological political treatise. Um, we. We allow for the sort of free development of of intellectual um, intellectual community, uh, and and so his his sort of uh, understanding of ethics has has to do with what um, what promotes the capacity for action. So uh, something is uh, uh, is good insofar as it um, increases the human capacity for action, and it's bad if it reduces that capacity for action, and. Uh, and so ultimately, it's community, um, and then the the knowledge of God. Uh, these two things together, or you know, they're ultimately sort of one thing because it's it's through community that we um, that we sort of achieve the the intellectual love of God. Um, uh, it's through community that we um, that we increase our power of acting, um, and uh, and so ultimately, this sort of naturalistic approach to uh, value judgments um, uh, leads to uh, an ethics of um, communal uh, um, promotion of the capacity for action. And so it's by living with others in such a way as to um, help each other um, have a greater capacity for action that we ourselves um, can increase our own capacity for action. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a very subtle um, uh, kind of approach to ethical principles that um, uh, I think has probably not t- been taken up as much as uh, as it would be worth doing. Oh, okay, thank you. Okay, um, unless there are any other uh, comments or questions, I'm going to suggest that we end here for today and then start the Madbranche section next time, um, if that's okay with everyone. That sounds good. Yeah, that's that's good. Okay, great. Uh, so thank you everyone for uh, coming out and I hope to see you next week. Thank you. See you next week. Thanks, everyone.